and welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast. We've had our first weekend of Premier League football for what seems like an eternity. And today we'll be taking a look through the fixtures that have taken place over the last few days with a fine-tooth comb, ready to overanalyze and over-criticize everything. I'm your host and resident, Jordy Kieran, and today I'm joined by Rangers fan Luke. Hello. And Liverpool supporter Andy. Hello. Unfortunately, we are a man short today as our other Scott is busy and thus could not make it. But we are here and we'll press forth without him. Let's just dive right into the football then, boys, eh? Let's go. All right, then. So we're going to look at the sort of first couple of games first. Um, So the first night of the Premier League in three months. So Arsene Villa and Sheffield United play out a horrendous goal to straw. Um, before Manchester City dismantled Arsenal with the help of a disastrous cameo appearance from Juan David Luiz. Um, so, what did we make on? What did we make of the package on offer on that opening night? Was it was it everything you hoped it'd be? Luke? I, do you know what? I loved it just because it was great to see football back. Um, I think, as I predicted, the first game I didn't think was going to be much cop, and I think. It, the, the, interestingly, we might talk about this later, but I felt as if the referee bottled it when he saw that it was clearly a goal. And I felt like he, he completely bottled it and he probably should have called it, um, you know, when the keeper called, um, carried it over the line. But the, And the second game, well, I don't know if I've just quite finished laughing yet at David Luiz, to be honest with you, because honestly, that was just the most nightmare cameo I've ever seen actually I don't think I've seen a worse one actually in a long time but it was uh, no it was good it was good City were City were good but they didn't have to be good um, because the, the Arsenal were just terrible pretty much that was my take on it anyway yeah I would agree uh, what do you think Andy? yeah I, I share the same same sort of opinions as as Luke does really I think that the first game wasn't great um, but I think the whole goal or not goal thing well clearly goal but I think the whole technology thing did save the game a bit there was something to talk about after the game I think if it wasn't for that happening I'm not sure what else they could talk about in the game it was really not uh, much else apart from that totally. yeah totally. <laughs> I think that I think that yeah I think referee maybe should have gone to VAR but if he's seen his watch and seen us oh, it's not a goal and he's got to trust that isn't he because that's what it's meant to be clear cut isn't it it's meant to be it's over the line my watch will make a noise it's over the line so he's obviously not seen that yeah, it's a shame for Sheffield United because obviously they've suffered a lot. Obviously, the loss to Newcastle United on Sunday. So I think they really that extra two points may make a difference come the end of the season. So I think it's a shame for them. I think Villa will be happy with that. Very, very happy to get the point out of that game. Totally. Yeah, no, David Luiz just came on and really just <laughs> ruined everything for Arsenal. I mean, came on, red card, gave away penalty, gave away the first goal as well. I think. I can't think of many words performances in that, really, in terms of coming on and doing that. Um, but yeah, I think Man City were good, but to sort of go with what Luke said, they were Arsenal were so bad, it was not really needed to be good by City. They just were, Arsenal were that bad. City could be average and could still, still could have won that game. So, yeah, it, it was good to be back, though. It was good to have football back. Very pleasing. Uh, the crowd noise for me worked as well. I liked the crowd noise. It was, um, you sort of did forget again that the fans, the fans weren't there. And um, yeah, it was good. But I did like in the first game how I think someone had a shot straight at the keeper. I think the guy at Sky, he pressed on the, uh, the noise for the, um, the goal being scored. I was like, that's not been a goal. It's just been a very normal save for the keeper. <laughs> yeah, great to be back. What did you think of the sort of crowd noise? Um, it's been a sort of a bit of a divisive issue. Are you using it or not? 
I actually liked it. It kind of grew on me um, across the games. And so initially, I was thinking, "Oh, come on, they're just, but you know, they're just putting this through and, and stuff like that." But uh, but actually, actually, after a while, it really grew on me. And they actually seemed to get the guy with the trigger finger, obviously on the on the the crowd noise, seemed to get it right. I think there was only one or two where he. he you know, completely got it wrong. I think. I think during the Liverpool game was another one where he obviously pressed the wrong button or or fell asleep. I think probably <laughs> on the buttons more likely. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised actually. But um, yeah, I think the other comedy moment was uh, was when Jamie Carragher was talking about singling out Liverin, and I, I'm pretty sure if, uh, Neville uh, said, "Aye, that's what they used to do to you in the games as well." <laughs> but actually, yeah, the, the crowd noise was brilliant. The crowd noise was actually. It, they really did it well. It wasn't too much, but it was just enough to make you forget about the crowd, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I've been watching it without the crowd noise, to be perfectly honest. Um, mm-hmm. I tried, I did for the first game. I had it on for that game, and I thought it was um, just, I don't know, a little bit poor. I didn't like the, a few delayed reactions and stuff like that. And um, I've been watching it without the crowd noise, and it's quite interesting to hear the players talking on the field and stuff like that. I mean, the vast majority of the time, it's just them shouting and swearing at each other, but sometimes it's like it's nice to hear the sort of like, what they're saying to each other, like where to run and stuff like that. So I, I, I kind of like the natural audio. So that's kind of what I've opted for. But it's mm-hmm. not, it's not too bad. I don't. It's the crowd noise isn't as bad as everyone thought it was going to be. I don't think. Yeah. Um, but as for the whole sort of package that was on offer, I think one of the big things that we were all sort of like looking at was the sort of pre-match, the sort of new pre-match routine that's in place, um, just for the first couple of game weeks, really. Um, where before every game, the players observe a minute silence to pay tribute to all those affected by COVID-19. Um, and as well as that, they've all taken a knee just as the game kicks off to show solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, also done in that phrase, Black Lives Matter, or where their name would normally be on the backs of that shirt. Mm-hmm. Did you think that sort of pre-match routine was fitting? Did it send out the right message? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I think it was... Um, it's good to see every player doing it as well. It was good to see so many players in sort of in harmony all sort of together in this in these sort of times at the moment um, I think it, yeah, I think it was good to see I think they did it very well and I liked the the bit on Sky before each game when they showed all the thing all the Black Lives Matter sort of clips I, I did like all that so that was um, that was very good to see very good to see indeed yeah what do you think Luke was it good was it, was it the right thing or was it maybe a little bit too choreographed <laughs> With Andy and this, I thought they, I thought they got it right. Um, I, I felt like it's, you know, because because we're in such crazy times, you know, nothing seems real um, anymore. I think in, in some ways, but uh, but actually, I thought they got it right. I, I, I thought taking the knee as well uh, for Black Lives Matters just really worked, um, and was a really respectful thing to do. And, yeah. and I thought they set the right example across the whole board. You're not, you're not getting any controversies or anything like that. Because uh, that was the thing I was worried about, actually, was that someone would refuse to take a knee at some point and then it would be it would blow up somehow. But Yeah, I was worried a bit fun. about that. Um, yeah. I mean, we did have a slight incident in the Merseyside derby yesterday when Sadio Mane just set off running down the wing, forgetting that, that he had to do with minutes, uh, that he had to take a knee. He started, whistle's gone, he's gone flying down the wing. I totally forgot everyone else was taking the name. He's gone, oh, fuck and turned around and run back in. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that, actually. I'd totally forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah same. Yeah. I, yeah. It was funny. <laughs> 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 All right, boys. Um, we touched on them there, but um, I think it's only right that we got to talk about Arsenal. Um, so that's two games, two defeats since the restart. 
one of which was against Brighton on Saturday, obviously the other against Manchester City. Uh, what do we think is going wrong with the Gunners? Uh, Andy, what's your, what, what is it that's sort of just gone so unbelievably ping-pong? I think the first few minutes of the game really set sort of a tone for the rest of their time because that amount of injury, injuries they had in the first few minutes was ridiculous. I think Granit Xhaka went off after four minutes. Is that the Manchester City game? Down. Yeah, in the Manchester City game. And then was the unknown centre-back as well went off. Yeah, Pablo Mar. Um, yeah, him. Yeah, I think it was... Um, I think Arsenal... They were, I think it's probably their worst team in Premier League history, maybe. The amount, like they got, mm. apart from Bamiang, they got no one else really, like, really great. Whereas years ago, you had the likes of, obviously, the Invincible team. You had even people like Nasri and Van Persie and Fabregas in the late noughties to early 2010s. But I think that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, same old Arsenal, really, isn't it, at the moment? Still can't defend. Still, often, apart from Bamiang, not a lot going forward. And, yeah, so I think... Yeah, it's not been a great start, is it? And I think that you think they'd improve. Maybe it's down to rustiness. Maybe it's down to not being back into the sort of the, the match fitness blend. So is everyone else. Everyone else is in the same boat. So, yeah, yeah I, I can't put a finger on it. But I think, yeah, I think it's just down to lack of bodies or lack of really great, great players. What do you think, Luke? Well, I, I'm actually going to start. So, so when I was thinking about this, actually, I was thinking... Who out of that team would I actually want in my Chelsea team? And I was thinking, not many, not many yeah. at all. Um, if you if you probably look at it, you're, you're probably talking about, like I said, Aubameyang, maybe Lacazette, possibly Pepe, who, who looks like he might be a really good player in a better team. But honestly, they're, they're pretty much rotten. I mean, the, the, the keeper, Leno, looks like he could be quite good. It uh, looks like he might be out for a while now. I don't know. I haven't seen the, the update, but it, it didn't look very helpful for him. But aside from that, you know, they've not got any talent at all in their team. And and I, th I think Arteta might end up being a good coach, but he, if you don't have talent, you can't do it. And... Um, you know that this is. I'm with you, Andy. I think this is the poorest Arsenal team I've seen in, in easily ten or fifteen years. Easily, the worst of the Premier League era. I think that's what Andy Andy's soundbite was. Would you, yeah. would you would you go with that? Even uh, worse than the sort of pre Wenger Arsenal, uh, the sort of five year period pre Wenger. I think you were the only one around to remember that. Look, <laughs> I know. I, I I don't know, but it's maybe on a par with how bad they were at that time. They, they weren't necessarily bad. I mean, they were, you know, they were like maybe, you know, top six, top ten kind of thing. But, you know, I, I don't see them breaking, you know, breaking any records. I don't see them winning the league with the team that they have. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I don't know, much as I love Mikel Arteta from his Rangers days, and, and I think that he might well have, you know, what it takes to be a, to be a good manager. But I, I do worry that, he, A, he won't get the time. And, and B, I just don't think he's going to have the, the, the funds or the wherewithal to, to actually get the right players on board in the right time that, he's, that he needs to. So I, I think it's bad news for Arsenal all the way. Yeah. Well, so, Andy, what do you sort of think of Mikel Arteta? Is, is, he, the, is he the man who's going to like turn Arsenal around? Is he the man that's going to sort of get the back end of the board and turn the club around and put the back on course? Or um, do you think it was maybe something of a mistake to hire an inexperienced manager at this point? Um, it's a mixture of things, really, because he's obviously he's learned from a great manager in Guardiola. I mean, what better mental than him to have as your manager? Mm -hmm. I think I like the way he tries to play, but I don't think he's got the players at the moment. I think maybe one or two transfer windows, maybe a few more, and that will get him the team he needs. And I think Arsenal showed with the, the late Wenger days that they're very happy to um, be loyal to someone and keep someone on and give them time. 
Um, mm-hmm. So you've got to hope that they will give him a time. I like I like him as a man. I like him as a person. He seems like a very knowledgeable and very sort of respectable person. And I think that yeah, he just needs more time. Needs more time to buy players. Needs more transfer windows to really get his his team in. Because at the moment he's dealing with loads of deadwood, loads of players that aren't his players, loads of players he didn't buy. So I think he just needs he needs that sort of period to get players he wants and to sort of fully install his ideas, get a full preseason behind him, get a full season under his neck, and maybe then we'll start properly judging him. Is that sort of um, is that what they need to do to sort of address the situation and try and sort of get back on course? Is it is it just sort of transfers that's missing at the club, or is there something maybe a little bit cheaper than that? Mm, I- I mean, the whole the whole Lacazette balloon story recently shows maybe there's something going on behind the scenes in terms of some of the players' attitudes. I mean, Lacazette's done this a few yeah. times, isn't he, in the past? So mm-hmm. I don't think he's got the best profession, professionalism in the world. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, it, it's a tough one because on a day, you do things on the pitch, don't you, at the end of the day. You do what you want to do on the pitch. So I think that needs to be done first, doesn't it? We need to make sure the players on the pitch are are right, really, and all the good players that they need. But at the moment, their team's are full of very average players at best, a lot of them. Yeah, I think it's sort of... I think all the way through the team, there's sort of issues, but I think even at sort of boardroom level, there's a few sort of, like, discrepancies. The fans aren't overly chuffed with Stan Kroenke at the moment, mm-hmm. um, haven't been for quite a while. Do you think there's sort of more of a deeper lying issue there? Look, I, I think there could be, you know. I mean, I think... I think I think there are issues all the way through. I, I mean, I think um, I think what Lacazette did was was obviously completely stupid, and and you know it, I think as an experienced player in the dressing room, you should know better, definitely. And and you expect your senior players to sort of set a good example to the rest of them. Um, and and he really is one of the senior players in there. He's, he's certainly one of the better players that they have. Um, but I also think that there's more systemic issues at Arsenal as well in particular, and I'm not convinced that they can fix it in one transfer window. I really don't. I think maybe maybe Arteta is there as a project, um, you know, given maybe a few transfer windows. I, I hope so, because, mm. you know, like I said, I, I do like him. I, you know, I've got a, a bit of an affinity for him. But at the same time, as a Chelsea fan, I'm not upset with the current situation at Arsenal at all. <laughs> so, um, by some miracle, right, you're put in charge as the director of football at Arsenal. You see you've got two, three windows to buy the players needed for Arsenal to mount a challenge to get back into the top four and maybe even challenge for the title. What positions are you targeting? Oh, And I know already, yeah. Definitely centre backs. Definitely centre backs. They got no one. I think the best one's probably Socrates, and that's really not a great thing to have. Him being your best centre back. Um, I think Bellerin could be worked out. I think he's good going forward. I think if you work on his defensive stuff, I think you can keep him where he is. Same with um, I think Kieran Tierney. Looks like a young prospect. He's got to be getting more games. He's he's, he's a good he's player good. actually. Yeah, he's a good player, Tierney. Yeah. Much as again, I hate saying that because he's <laughs> a Celtic player, and he, he's yeah. he's got an Isle of Man connection actually. Funnily enough, because he was born in Isle of Man. Oh, was he? Watch parents. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't know that. Oh, okay. But he's also a Celtic fan through and through. So obviously, I hate him. <laughs> you know, but he's quite good. Yeah. yeah. Of us, you're the one with the sort of probably the most knowledge of Tierney, having uh, watched him play for Celtic and Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of talk in London that he is Arsenal's answer to Andy Robertson. Is that fair, or is that maybe a little bit too much to ask of him at this stage? 
I th I think he's a really good player. I think he he has the potential to be as good as Robertson or Chilwell. I think is another guy who's very yeah. similar to him at Arsenal, uh, at Le Leicester even. Sorry, um, and and I do think he's got potential to to become even more complete because he was great at Celtic. He was pretty much one of our Achilles' heels in terms of like how how we could defend against him. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, again, for me. Two big strapping centre backs would be the priority, and I, on, honestly, I really think central midfields where they need to fix things as well. They need to be able to mm, dominate yeah. games, and they, they're just not doing that right now. You know, Jack is not the answer. Uh, none of the guys they've got in centre midfield are the answer. So that, that for me, that would be the, the spine of the team pretty much. And and I would actually offload Obama Yang and get some money for him. That's what yeah, I they're going to lose them for free next season anyway, by the looks of things. So um, it might make more sense to do that, but. Do you really want to get rid of your pretty much only reliable player at this point? He's not getting any younger. He's Maybe, not. You know, so if you could if you could get like a hundred million for him, for example, and then use that to invest in better players and, and, and you know, for someone that's just at the peak and probably can only go down the way. A championship manager head says yes, absolutely, I'd be transferring less than him right now. How much do you think he is worth? And sort of like, you know, bear in mind that you're looking at a sort of depressed market now. Would you sell him? And if you could, how much do you reckon you could get for him, Andy? Yeah, that's the thing with all, with everything going on at the moment. Um, I think I read somewhere I was we listened, I was listening to a podcast with Gary Neville, and he was saying a lot of clubs, how can they justify furloughing furloughing staff and then going on and paying 60, 70 million for a player? Mm -hmm. I think that I think the next two windows will be severely affected I think that we won't, we won't see anywhere near the numbers we saw before uh, before lockdown in terms of transfer fees uh, okay. I think if you exclude that I'd say I'd probably buy him about 70 million maybe 80 million as an Arsenal manager Arsenal board member um, and I think on that point I think obviously we sold Coutinho for 100 and something odd million and bought Van Dijk and Alisson with the money so I think yeah. um, you can sort of use the money to get good players, but at the same time, look at what Spurs did with their money when they saw Bale. They got Ericsson, but they also got some very, like Paulinho, very average players, Roberto Soldado, the same sort of thing. So I think um, you've got to be careful where you spend your money because you can spend the money, but they've got to be the good, good enough players, really. So I think um, it's tempting to sell Bamiyan because he isn't young, as you were saying, Luke, he isn't young. So I yeah. think, um, and I do, he is very young, but I do like look about Eddie Nketiah. I've seen him play a few times. He looks, he looks very, good, doesn't he? Looks he looks good, good yeah. yeah. And he, um, I think he scored a few goals before lockdown. So I think mm -hmm. if they work on him, he could be something they could work on like a future prospect. So I think, yeah. yeah, certainly if he wants to go as well, there's no point keeping him if he wants to st he wants to leave. I think that's not good for the dressing room as well as mm -hmm. on the pitch. So um, I think if the right offer comes, definitely, get, definitely sell him. And then... Uh, try and buy some players to um, make up for that, and try and get a good little spine of the team going. I think they've got the sort of they've got the makings of a canny little team. Like we've got, um, mm. you're looking at the keeper. They've got a world class goalkeeper, in my opinion, in Burnt Leno. Right back, they've got Hector Bellerin, who is he's a great player, very good player, very good professional, in my opinion. Left back, Tierney, who's a good player. Right wing, you're looking at Nicholas Pepe, who um, obviously big money signing. He's looking like he's going to be good. He's still very young. Left mid um, slash left back versatile player that uh, young Bukayo Saka, uh, Saka mm. who I think is fantastic. He's had a great breakout season. Um, then in attack, um, you're looking at 
Eddie and Ketty, as you were saying, and maybe they could do with um, a more senior striker if they were to move Aubameyang on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it's what you guys were saying is the spine of the team. It's the centre midfielders. The same central midfield, they're looking at Lucas Torreira, Granit Xhaka, Matteo Guendouzi. Um, there's, there's not a lot... None of them are any good. None of them not... are really any good for the, the class of team that our Arsenal are. And then I add to that, made. Joe Willock. Um, so you're not really looking at an outstanding central midfield call there, and the same goes for the centre-off. So I do agree. I think it's the spine of the team that we need to be addressing in the next few transfer windows, really. If they um, if they want centre-backs, they can happily take Lovren out of our hands. He <laughs> can definitely go to them. I'd, I'd be perfectly fine with that. That'd be no problem at all. And, and the funny thing is, best. <laughs> he, he would actually be an upgrade for them as well. That's the thing. He would actually That's be an upgrade at centre-back, wouldn't it? He actually would, yeah, which is quite yeah. Bad. That's how bad it's got. <laughs> it is, it is, it's true. All right, boys, we're going to move on. Um, so we're going to come to like the sort of thing that I've noticed in the last week of football since Wednesday is that a lot of the games that we've been watching haven't really lived up to the billing. We've had quite a slow standard of play. Um, there's not been much intensity. Um, and it's been sort of played at a pre-season pace rather than a Premier League pace a lot of the games in my opinion um, I don't know if you boys would agree but mm-hmm. I think the lack of intensity at the very least is there for all to see um, so what do you think the reasons are behind that well I, I actually interestingly I read today that apparently one Arsenal player tested positive for coronavirus during the week and, and him and two others had to self-isolate for a couple of days and then they tested again and they all come back negative. And I think that might have been the build-up to the City game, which explains quite a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do wonder, I mean, to be honest, I've had quite a bit of time to get up to match speed and I just don't understand why, you know, they, they can't start a game at 100 miles an hour. Even, even Liverpool looked off the pace a bit to start with, didn't they? Yeah, and, I think everyone did this weekend. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't really understand why why that would be the case because a lot of teams have got a lot to play for, and you would think you'd be up for it, and you'd think you would just go hell for leather straight from the off. And I just didn't see it. And I think the only game that I thought maybe had a little bit of intensity to start with was was probably even was probably the start of the the, the Arsenal Man City game. But even then, that kind of fizzled out as soon as Louise did his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it was interesting. I don't know. I don't know what the reasons are. Uh, I think the sort of thing to note from the fitness perspective is that when the Bundesliga got up and running, um, the players had been in training for six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. They came back to training on on or around like early April, like uh, around the 10th, that area, and then started playing again on May 19th, May 18th, May 19th, mm-hmm. which was giving them ample time to get up to match speed and get up to match fitness. That's really the best part of six weeks you're looking at there. So they, when they started again, the games were at a normal pace, at a normal intensity. The games were just as entertaining as they normally are. Um, it, they hadn't really lost anything. So I was kind of expecting that from the Premier League as well. Yeah. Um, and clearly we haven't gotten that. And I think a big thing that I've noticed is the fact that the match fitness, we're looking at, what, three weeks training Premier League players have had? Yeah. Um, so do you think it's the match fitness that's the issue here, Andy? Or do you think the players just aren't fit enough? Um, I'd say, obviously, only having one pre-season game for teams may not be enough. Maybe they needed an extra game just to get that little bubble mm-hmm. match fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
especially seeing the first night, seeing all those Arsenal players going down so early, maybe a lot of players had the fear of having the same thing happen to them. So maybe they're a bit more cautious, a bit more conservative. Um, but yeah, I think that... Um, but what, one thing I did notice when I watched the Bundesliga, when I first watched the first week, the difference between that and then a few weeks later was massively different. I think the first week there were still a few players that weren't quite up to speed. But I think when I watched it a month later, um, it was far different. It was much more intensity, much more to I think maybe it just needs a few weeks for players to get into it, a few weeks of players just to get their match fitness up to speed. And I think I reckon we'll see after two or three games or four games for each team, I think we'll really see then the... Um, and really be up to speed and really be back to what they were like before lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you sort of touched on it there, and it's the injury issue. Um, according to figures that I read uh, the other day, injuries in Bundesliga are up 250% since the restart, um, wow. and we've already seen wow. quite a few injuries this week uh, in the Premier League with, like you say, a couple of Arsenal players going mm-hmm. off. There's been more data around the league as well. So do you think there's like a serious increase of injury and it's like a much bigger increase in injury and if so how do you think that's going to sort of affect the way the league plays out for the rest of the season that's an interesting question you know because i think it was i think you're right actually see a couple of players going down early i definitely affected some some players heads and they were starting to think oh no here we go here we go i'm going to get injured again Mm. um if, it's an interesting statistic about the, the Bundesliga. I hadn't realised it was as high as that. I knew it was higher, but I hadn't realised it was that much higher. Um, but yeah, conditioning is a problem. And actually, the, the other thing as well is that we're playing in the summertime and they don't often you know, play in these temperatures that are a bit higher. Mm-hmm. And that can have an effect as well. Um, I, I think we might still see some pretty bad injuries in times to come. Um, I thought Lino was really unlucky, actually, with his yeah. injury. That was a completely innocuous challenge, and he was obviously raging when he was pointing at the guy. But I don't think that um, I don't think there was any intent in it at all. I watched it a couple of times. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really unfortunate. But uh, yeah, I, I think you might see one or two really notable injuries, uh, like torn hamstrings and stuff like that. So that's the the thing that I'd be worried about. Yeah, what was that? Was the Spurs? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's going to play on players' mind, isn't it? I think players are going to think about think about these kind of things. They are going to get worried. But I think you've got, you've got to take some, going back to the German League again, I think you've got to take some positives in the fact that they they were, after a few weeks, back up to speed. So I think I think players are going to worry naturally about all of this. But I think, um, give it a few weeks, they'll be, I think they'll be back to normal. I think they'll... Be fine with it after a few weeks. I think it's just getting used to it again. I think it's just mm-hmm. getting back towards the. Because normally in like pre season, they have about four or five games before yep. all they play. They have all these t- pre season tournaments, they have all these games living, leading up to the, the season starting. So I think maybe yeah. they just need a few more weeks just to get just to get back up to speed. Yeah, I think it's sort of you got to just get in there and get on with it straight away because. There's not that long left in the season. They're going to be playing mm-hmm. the rest of the eight games in a month, six weeks, somewhere around there. So mm-hmm. they haven't got a lot of time to sort of get used to it and get back up to speed. So it's going to be interesting to see how everyone does cope. And in terms of the uh, fixtures that we have got coming up, this week there's a few notable ones. Uh, for me, the notable ones were Spurs versus West Ham, uh, which is a bit of a rivalry there in London. Uh, Liverpool Palace, which could be big for the title, Andy. Um, and Chelsea playing Man City later on this week. And Manchester United play Sheffield United. Um, 
which could be massive in, for the race of the top four as well, depending on how the Chelsea Man City result goes. Um, as well as that, we've got the FA Cup quarters this weekend. Uh, Newcastle City, Sheffield United versus Arsenal, Leicester versus Chelsea. Uh, Man United Norwich so what we're looking forward to most in the next week of football then boys well depending on what happens tonight I think definitely the game on Wednesday I think if Burnley can do it a favour tonight I'll be um, very nervous on Wednesday very um, excited at the same time I think that'll be my number one one to watch I think Man U Sheffield United is an interesting one that's one that's getting me a bit excited because both teams trying to get that European place I think that's going to be we could see how Sheffield United yeah. come back from these last two games. It'll be good to see how they respond. And I think Manu looked good in that second half when Pogba came on. So I think that uh, they'll both be eager to do well. I think having that to play for maybe may help that intensity come back as well, going back to our previous discussion. Um, I did enjoy, actually, the um, I saw on on Fantasy Premier League, the fixtures, there's three games on at six o'clock, no, four games on at six o'clock on the on Wednesday or Tuesday two on BT Sport, one's on BBC and one's on Sky. So I'm interested to see the rivalry between the three channels and see how they find out beat each other. Yeah, yeah it's, no. a, it's interesting you note the sort of um, the broadcasters there because Sky announced that the Merseyside Derby last night broke their record for viewing figures in one game. It was like wow. five and a half million. Wow. And that's five and a half million wow. very, 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 very angry people this morning. <laughs> Not least myself. <laughs> Even my grand watched it. My grand watched that game. It was free. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mark of a generation, that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, what are you looking forward to most this week? What, what game you got your eye on? Oh, well... Obviously, I think Liverpool Palace goes without saying. I think if uh, I think if Liverpool can win the title, that'd be quite something. It's particularly considering that they were talking about cancelling this uh, the rest of this season, and, and I know quite a few Liverpool fans, and they were practically bursting into tears whenever we talked about the possibility of them not winning it. <laughs> um, Chelsea Man City, yeah, yeah. Chelsea Man City goes without saying. Cannot wait. Um, uh, you know, Man City are kind of our kryptonite as well, so I'm sort of hoping that we can do something against them. And then for me, I love the FA Cup. I absolutely love it. And, and you know, there's going to be at least one one major shock. And I wouldn't be surprised if Norwich turn up and beat Man United, actually. But uh, but I'm obviously looking forward to, Le- um, to Leicester-Chelsea again. And I think Newcastle City could be really tasty. I think I've got and my... I think you know which one I've got my eye on for the shop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it could be. You never know. Oh, it could be because uh, you know they, they talk about home advantage, and that is a big. It's a big deal, actually. So, um, I think it'll be a good game. I hope. I hope all the games are really exciting and and people go for it, and it's like you know it ends up nine eight or something. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> oh, my nerves can't take nine eight. I don't think. Um, <laughs> oh, I'll, take, I'll take a scrappy little one nil. To be honest. <laughs> Actually, I'll take nil-nil and penalties. I'll take that. <laughs> uh, but then, if Joe Linton took the penalty, would you be more nervous or less nervous, Kieran? I'd probably have a heart attack. <laughs> what's your um, what's your views on Saint Maxim? I think he looks really good. Best player in the league. Ballon d'Or. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's, he's an outstanding oh, yeah. footballer. He's one of those who, get, who has you on the edge of your seat all the time. Um, he's the type of flair player that Newcastle love and that we've missed since Hatton Ben Arthur left a few years ago. So uh, I'm absolutely in love with Lance and Maxman. And he's an awesome dude as well. He's a really good guy. So, yeah. 
Brilliant guy. Brilliant man. Are you worried about losing him, actually? Uh, no, not really. Not this summer. No. Uh, I think he'll be here for at least at least one more season, possibly two. But eventually, he will outgrow mm-hmm. because he's an outstanding footballer. But it just depends on how the club grow um, with the potential takeover incoming. Whoa. So it depends on how the club grow <laughs> and if uh, and if our little bit growth with the new Saudi money can keep up with his growth because it's going to be rapid. He's going to be a player in very high demand over the next couple of years. Yeah, so I think that is all we've got time for. Thank you very much for allowing me to talk about Newcastle there because, you know, I love doing that. I love watching. (laughs) I had to stop myself because we could have been here all night. So (laughs) thank you very much for listening to anyone who is out there listening. Um, Next week, we'll be back looking at more Premier League football and we may even chuck in another league because the Bundesliga comes to an end next year, uh, next year, next week. Um, so we might have to chuck in a little bit of German football. So please do your revision this week, guys, if you don't already watch the league. Um, <laughs> in the meanwhile, do log on to www.thesportsdispatch for more sports opinions, where you'll find opinions on sports from these two and plenty of others, including myself. Um, and we'll be sure to check you next week. So yeah. <laughs>